0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the Deputy Editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our Editor-in-Chief, Al Sanisiri. How you doing, Al? I'm great, John. I'm glad to hear that, Al. We have a fun episode today. We're going to discuss your May cover story. Obviously, it's now June, but let's close the book on May, if you will. So your May cover story on Anthony Rizzo. And then we're also going to chat about the Q&A I did with Yankees hitting coach Dylan Lawson. But... First, Al, obviously, I think we've been kind of repetitive for a bunch of episodes so far this season about, man, the Yankees are hot. Man, the Yankees are hot. And, yeah, you know, they're having some lucky breaks. And, yeah, you know, yada, yada, yada. But the key thing is, you know, you win the games now because you're not always going to stay hot and you're not always going to stay lucky and you're not always going to stay healthy. And now as we record this, we're seeing that, that the Yankees are finally hit by the injury bug right now. They're finally seeing some of that adversity that every team is going to face. But two benefits that I'll say as we record this on Tuesday morning, number one, with all that going on, in their last 10 games, they're 5-5, and so it's not like they're cratering. But the other thing I'll say, to repeat what I've said many times so far in the last few weeks, this is why it's important to win games when things are going right for you, because you bank those wins. And so the Yankees still, despite... The injured list getting a little too packed, despite some of the you know the wins the wins that they've been able to count on earlier in the season not coming so easily now. Well, they still have the best record in baseball as we record this.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that's a good point. You do want to bank wins when things are going well number one, you're right. And two, you know, they, they aren't plummeting in any way, shape, or form right now. They're dealing with some adversity. I think there's just always that, that ebb and flow of, of the season, so to speak, that every team deals with. I should say every good team deals with, because if you're not a good team, there's not really an ebb and flow. It's just, you know, a, a lot of downhill sliding, let's just say, but you know, every good team goes through some, some ups and downs. This is, I wouldn't even call it a down. I think it's just, you know, it's some little adversity. And I think their leadership has been tremendous and, and kind of keeping them still playing well. I think their starting pitching is, again, you talk about being repetitive. I don't know if I've ever been more repetitive about anything in my life before, how good this, you know, cast of, of starting pitchers has been and is. And when you have guys who are going out every single night and giving the, the team a chance to win, whether they actually win or not. This team has a chance to win every single night based on, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but this this group of starting pitchers, you can deal with adversity. Adversity doesn't seem that bad. And, I mean, the reality is,
0: look, it, it's, you know, it's the beginning of June right now. If you are spending too much time going through the loss column in the standings at this point and trying to figure out meaning from that with two-thirds of the season left to play, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say exactly. But let me now do what I'm guilty of. Again, you want to talk about the team running into it a little bit, and finally, you know, having that that rougher stretch that we haven't seen yet this season. Okay, so if you want to say that the biggest competition maybe in the American League East is the Rays, so you know the Yankees went into that winning. Suddenly they're injured. Suddenly things aren't looking great. And you know, if you're a Rays fan, you know you're licking your lips right there. You're mm-hmm. saying like, oh, this is when we want them. This is when we, we're finally playing the Yankees, and this is when we get them. And you know what? Was it a perfect weekend for the Yankees? No, it wasn't, but they took two of four. It was as though it didn't happen, you know, and it it kind of reminds me because we're watching a lot of playoff hockey right now. You know, you think of like a power play and if you don't score on the power play, then it's almost like, you know, the penalty kill did more than just keep you off the board. They get that push. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of look at it like the Rays had a power play this past weekend, but they didn't score.
1: I love the hockey analogy. (laughs) Well, it's been
0: Uh, a a fun (laughs) week at hockey. (laughs) If if,
1: If you're... (laughs) <laughs> if you're for, Rangers, some, for you're, some of for us some of you guys. <laughs> yeah I don't want to talk about that but uh I agree with you it, it you know if if it was a power play they didn't score and, and frankly the the irony too is that you know the Yankees almost scored a, sh- a shorthanded goal sure. in the sense of Saturday really could have gone our way to say the least I mean Garrett Cole you know there's a lot made of things that didn't go right for him and, and all that stuff based around literally like one pitch or surrounding one pitch. He had pitched really well for six innings. And again, kind of in keeping with the theme that I've been repeating over and over and over uh, gave the Yankees a really good chance to win the game. Didn't work out that way. Okay. I get it, but very well could have been a, a, a three out of four type of series. It wasn't, but now they're home and hopefully have an opportunity to, to kind of pick up where they were before this five and five stretch and start really winning a lot of games here. Now they're home. Obviously we're recording this
0: before the Angels series starts, but we've we've seen the Angels a lot over the last few years. They come here once a year. And yet finally, you know, you're seeing this team that's clicking and I don't know about you having visions of maybe what a postseason could look like that could include Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani of course, at least as we record the schedule to pitch here on Thursday night, so it's just it, I mean, we've hit Memorial Day weekend, so now you want to call it summer. I'll call it summer, and it's just the Yankees are playing good baseball still. Yeah, they're playing good baseball across town too. It's a fun baseball summer right now in New York, and hockey playoffs are still going on. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good time right now. But you know, I, I, I think we can move now to the the stories we want to discuss today. And sure, here, here's a great microcosm of what we're talking about right now, because certainly, maybe by the time you're listening to this. Anthony Rizzo is coming off two, three homer games, and you know he's well on his way to uh, you know the All Star game and uh, Player of the Week honors, whatever you want to say. As we record this right now, of course, it's not going great for Rizzo for the last couple of weeks, but it sure was at the beginning, and that is what baseball is. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you do between you know some movable goalposts of you know May 12th to May 29th. It's what you do over 162 games. So what we saw when Anthony Rizzo did in April and, you know, as much as the whole team was really cooking, then what Rizzo did and what you demonstrate so well in your story really lifted the team in more ways than just, you know, those couple home runs he hit in the first few games and everything like that. He really was just showing why the Yankees were so keen to bring him back to be that leader in the clubhouse.
1: I agree. I mean, he, he had a great, great April it was an easy decision for you and me and Nathan to put him on the cover of the May issue of Yankees Magazine. Um, I yeah, to your point, there's certainly that ebb and flow within you know every player, let alone you know a team when you're playing 162 games. I'm pretty confident that his overall body of work this season will be very similar to his overall body of work of his career, which I also touched on in the story, which is pretty impressive. He's been a really good player for a long time, and he's been a consistent player for a long time. One of the things we talked about in the story was – You know, guys that he, like a a Miguel Cabrera, who he admires so much, he's like, you know what I admire about him so much is, you know, you look at him on baseball reference, his statistics, you know, the back of his baseball card, so to speak, and it's really boring because he basically does the same thing every year. And Anthony Rizzo aspires to do the same thing. Um, I'm not saying he's a Miguel Cabrera, but in terms of consistency, he's been really, really consistent. And he's not, you know, he's not over the hill or even close to it, you know, and and I think that's what's going to show up at the end of this season. You know, when Brian Cashman signs a free agent, a, a Garrett Cole, or, you know, makes a huge trade for Giancarlo Stanton, it's... You know, it it gets the world talking about it, about the signing or about the trade. It gets everybody really, really excited. This was one of those signings that went under the radar. There was a lot going on post-lockout, all that stuff. Um, People had kind of wondered whether he was going to resign here. He really did want to be back here. But – I will say I wasn't someone who was like, oh, okay, this is a run of the mill, you know, filling a roster spot, adding depth. I was really excited about it. Didn't, you know, not based on the fact that he put it together a killer half a year or whatever last year, but just on what he's done over his career. Just what people in Chicago had talked about, the type of leader he was there and the type of gamer he is. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. Whether he's playing as well in May as he, as he did in April or not, we're seeing what the, the total package that he brings is. One thing I find really interesting about a guy like Rizzo is,
0: you know, the Yankees are not a young team right now. There was, there was a lot of time when they were, you know, recently, when they were a young team and they had players overachieving for their age. But, you know, you talk a lot about the clubhouse leadership that guys like CC and Brett Gardner brought to this team. And I think one part that can't be overstated is it's not just that they had great personalities and it's not just that they were great leaders. It's that they had won. For all the talk about, you know, the number 27 and everything like that, there are very few players in the Yankees clubhouse right now who have won a World Series, and Anthony Rizzo has. And Anthony Rizzo knows what that grind is and knows how to get through game seven or whatever the last game is going to be of the World Series and hold that trophy up at the end of the day. And I don't think that's a small thing. And I think that that is really easy to see when you watch the way he carries himself in the clubhouse, on the field. You have a great anecdote in there about Ron Marinaccio coming in for his big league debut and just throwing the ball all over the place. (laughs) I mean, like, no clue where it's going. And yeah, you know, you want a Matt Blake in that situation. You want an Aaron Boone to come in and calm the guy down for sure. But the guy who really seemed to take charge in that moment was Anthony Rizzo and it's not for nothing. That that is a big part. Obviously the Yankees want his left-handed bat. They want his gold glove defense at first base. But you know that that's what Brian Cashman and certainly Aaron Boone wants out of
1: him as well. Yeah, he really brought it that day. You know, that that was a fun part of the story to write because that was, you know, in the middle of a series where he was coming up with clutch hit after clutch hit or clutch home run after clutch home run. But I tried to you know, at least kind of make get the point across, like that that was a really crucial part of the game as well. And a, a you know a first baseman's visit to the mound was as crucial as the first baseman's home run was. And it's one thing for a coach to take it to, to call a timeout and come out and talk to a player, a young player, particularly a pitcher who's in trouble, so to speak, and not not throwing the ball well or whatever. It's it's yet another thing for one of his peers to kind of grab him by the shirt and say, you're okay. you're fine. You know, I I see that a lot, even at, at, you know, the youth baseball with my son, where it's one thing for parents to be yelling, you're good, you're good, you're okay." It's another for another kid to say it. It resonates more for whatever reason. And I think he knew exactly what to do in that situation. You talk about that that phrase, John, like championship pedigree. People write about that a lot. People talk about that a lot. If you if you, you you hear it being talked about on a broadcast, oh, a championship pedigree, really important, really important. But what does that really mean? You know, it's it's not always actually described what that means. You you made a great point there. That's what it means. It's knowing how to help others succeed and win games, not just hit home runs, but win games. And you know, to that point, you know, w- when I asked him about kind of what he learned about being on a championship team. Like, what do you actually have to do besides just beat every other team and be better than every other team? You know, I I oftentimes think that the team that wins a championship, whether it's in hockey or, you know, football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, might not always be the best team or the most talented team, but they actually persevered the most. And he made a great point about that as well, that, you know, what he learned from being on that championship team with the Cubs wasn't like oh you have to be on the team that has the best pitchers and the best hitters and all but you have to have the mentality that you're going to be able to have that energy and and kind of muster that energy all the way through when it really sucks to have to go and play baseball and and he did that and he understands that's what it takes and look i mean this is the
0: yankees magazine podcast not the you know vine line podcast (laughs) if you will but that cubs team was basically a Shakespeare, you know, tragedy. I mean, obviously, you have the the Cubs' history. You have, you know, that weighing down them. You have the previous year when they just totally tanked in the in the postseason. You have the what happened in Game Seven. I mean, so you know they're fighting their own history, and then suddenly they, you know, they lost blow. the World Series. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. They, and then they get this rain delay that lets them, you know, cool down, and and, and they get the win, but. Someone who experienced that – I mean, we've all read about it. We all watched it, certainly. But, you know, the guys who were on the field there, you know, you keep that. That stays with you. That experience – look, I mean, Anthony Rizzo's. you know, made hard contact with a lot of pitches in his life, and he's made good plays at first base a lot. But that might be muscle memory, that part. But, you know, the winning and and the ability to persevere, as you said, through that situation – you know that's a once in a lifetime. Now that you have that,
1: you know, card in your hand, how valuable is that? I think it's valuable too because you know you think you think about it. I, I, you know, I internalize it with with just things in my own life. If you go through something really difficult, it makes other things that are difficult not seem as bad, and and I should say not as insurmountable. Um, what the, what that team did just that whole year, and then especially that night seems like the most insurmountable thing in the in the world and they did it and he was a big part of it and I think he does bring that here and I think that's that's really important it, it just again it really sheds light on the type of general manager that Brian Cashman is for seeing the value in him and being like this this guy's not leaving here he's coming back and he's going to be a part of this team and it, and he's a really important piece and and I'll I'll speak about one other thing that is a very very small part of another interview that I did um, but not for this issue, for our June issue. And I, I won't give too much away, but in a Q and A I did with our assistant um, hitting coach Hensley Mullins, you know, I was talking to him about different guys in the lineup and just kind of hitters in general, this group of hitters in general, and. He was kind of giving me a a one or two-sentence scouting report on each guy. And then he got to Anthony Rizzo, and he's like, and he's the best leader that we have, just like that. And that was this thing. It was like, there's a lot of leaders here. There's a lot of great players. And that was not meant to be certainly disrespectful towards any of the Giancarlo Stantons and the Aaron Judges and what great leaders they are. But – he just was it's just the light bulb went off. Like that was the first thing he thought about. And that resonated with me because I'm like, wow, he's not in a room devoid of leaders. So, you know, it just kind of furthered my point. It made me smile knowing that that this story was already, you know, on our on our program stands and, and on, on, on the newsstands. And is it too
0: much of a stretch to say that part of why Aaron Judge is having this, you know, world historical season right now could be because he has support. From a guy like Anthony Rizzo, he he doesn't have to be, you know, what Mulans might call, you know, the leader of leaders, whatever, yeah. you know, obviously judge is judge and judge, you know, plays that captain role very well, even if unofficially, but, you know, you add more guys around him and and certainly you add left-handers around him. So, <laughs> you know, it, it changes things up a little bit and, and, and makes the game a little harder for opposing managers and opposing bullpen, certainly, but all these little things, you sign a guy like Anthony Rizzo because you want Anthony Rizzo's baseball card, you know, go back to what you said at the beginning, yeah. to be consistent with his previous one. But, you know, every move has a hand in what happens with the guys around them. You know, you you sign great starting pitchers, and that makes your bullpen stronger because you don't have to use the bullpen in the third inning. You know, all these things, you know, you, you, you deepen a lineup, and you make a lineup more diverse. And that makes every hitter have a better chance because the manager can't just manage to – all right-handers, like they were able to in the first half of 2021. And, I, you know, is that the reason that the Yankees, as we record this, have the best record in baseball?
1: Maybe. It might be. I mean, I I think one thing is, like, to look at it kind of like the reverse angle. Weak links don't just affect their own link. They make the other links weak as well. And what I mean by that is – when you look, when you analyze all these different components, Anthony Rizzo being one of them, from what he brings to the team in a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint, it's, it's a really strong link, and it makes the other things stronger. And there's a lot of pieces like that. Again, the starting pitching, really, really strong, makes the bullpen stronger. Has nothing to do with the bullpen? Oh, but it has everything to do with the bullpen. Makes the closer better because it's just not as, as used or overused or whatever, and... Does that you know? I mean, I know it's this is not the most trendy time to say it, but does that help from an injury standpoint? Overall, it will. Whether it looks like it is going to help right now because we're kind of dealing with some stuff or whatever, but it it will overall. And I think it's just like we always talk about, you know, having protection in the lineup. Anthony Rizzo gives you protection in the lineup and protection in the in the clubhouse, so to speak, and on the pitcher's mound, as we said. So, <laughs> Al, it's a great
0: story. It's called "Still the One." It is the cover story of our no longer available may issue but of course you can get it by calling 800 go yanks and you can also subscribe there so you definitely should we are going to take a quick break when we come back hopefully as i said anthony rezzo has hit you know six home runs over the two games between when we recorded this and when you're listening to it and if that happens one of the main reasons i imagine will be dylan lost the yankees hitting coach who we are going to talk about in our next segment so stick with us
1: Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
0: Hi, this is Gleyber Torres. You are listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast. Welcome back, Al. As we just discussed, you know, you look back to the beginning of the season, Anthony Rizzo, hotter than hot. You look at right now, Aaron Judge, you know, he's really just on one. And I think that a lot of times when you look at pitchers, and, and, and let's talk specifically about Yankees pitchers. You know, the Yankees just keep on rolling these guys out who are throwing pitches that, like, have never existed in the world. And, and you know, the Yankees pitch design get so much credit, and it's really, you know, okay— you look at Matt Blake, and you look at what the Yankees analytics team is doing there, and it's just pretty easy to see. I just look at Clay Holmes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Look at, look at Clay Holmes. He's throwing a pitch that does not exist. Yeah. And then you have on the hitting side a guy who is just out there saying, hit strikes hard. And so what I what I tried to do in the Q&A that ran in our May issue was – figure out how something so simple can mean so much and you know so it's a QA with dylan Lawson, the mm-hmm. first year hitting coach of the yankees and man like it's weird because I, I still don't know how much i understand hitting in a sense how much i understand hitting analytics how much i understand you know swing plane design and all these things but sure was interesting talking to him
1: it's a great piece um what i what i really like that you did is is try to analyze you know the art of hitting so to speak which is the most complicated thing in the world yet the most simple thing in the world you know seeing a ball hitting it there's a thousand ways to do it there's a thousand philosophies there's a thousand ways to improve on it but you you did a really good job of that what 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 is your takeaway in terms of you know he he talked about his approach as a quote-unquote hitting instructor what was the what was the most interesting thing to you well
0: i I think the most interesting thing is just this idea, Hitch Strikes Hard. And even though it's a Q&A, you know, when you do a QA, and a you're trying to get kind of punchy answers. You want to go quick. You, you don't want paragraphs upon paragraphs. But there's one point about two thirds of the way down where I just let him go. And when he's talking about what I asked him, I think, you know, what is the next sentence after Hitch Strikes Hard? Because obviously, that's a cover page, if you will, you know, sure. that, that, that's yeah. that's the beginning and I let him go there and and he goes for paragraphs after paragraph after paragraph just you know what it means so you know partly it's about identifying pitches and that means obviously working on your eyes and working on you know your bat speed because it means that you have to be able to give yourself more time to react because you know you can't just hit strikes if you're swinging at everything which means you need to make your swing decision later but in order to make your swing decision later you need to have a quick bat you know you need to hit, make contact with the ball but only make contact with the ball if it's a strike. And when you're making contact with the ball, you want to make sure you're doing it in a way that's going to hit the ball hard. Again, this is simple stuff. This isn't like talking about, well, if you grip the baseball a slightly different way and move your arm, you know, two degrees south, that suddenly you're going to create a spin on the ball or or all these things. This is literally, I I think it was the first question I asked him. I I, I just have to imagine, you know, as you, Dylan Lawson's a guy who's been in the, you know, Yankees, player development system for a while now, so he knows a lot of these guys and whatever, and he and he's worked with these guys, and he's studied these guys, certainly, but you're also, I have to imagine, kind of like, a, you know, an art restorer on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel because it's like, better not mess this up. Like, I got Aaron Judge, and I got Giancarlo Stanton here, and I got Anthony Rizzo, and I go down the line here, and I better not do the say the wrong thing to them because what they're doing works pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, think of, you know, at this level, the type of players he's working with guys who are among, you know, the best hitters in the game, maybe the best hitter in the game in, in, in Aaron Judge and, and some other just, you know, guys who are on Hall of Fame tracks, to be very honest with you, and and superstars. How did he make the transition, or what did he talk about in terms of going from a guy who is really a, a player development coach, dealing with guys who are not the Sistine Chapel, but need that tutelage to get to be a major league level player, to now you know you're not not to say he's not teaching but he's not changing he's not molding he's kind of guiding so to speak and making sure that they're just aware of what they're doing like how hard was that transition
0: yeah it it is hard and i think the the word is correcting in a sense you know he's not creating you're not like you know again just to keep going back to it the yankees pitching guys and their Player development, you know, team, and certainly Matt Blake and everything, you know, they're designing pitches in, in a sense. He's not, he's not creating a swing; mm-hmm. he's identifying things where that swing might not be going right in that moment and trying to get it back. And I think the easiest way to understand this is there are constants in teaching hitting, but just because Aaron Judge, Andrew and Carlos Stanton do similar things to the baseball. I mean, you can watch them hit, and there is nothing about their swings that's anything alike. You know, it goes to the same place Mm -hmm. harder than anyone else (laughs) in baseball history, literally. um, Farther than anyone else in baseball history, literally. But... They're not doing the same thing, so you can't teach them to do the same thing. But what you cannot do, and what a good hitting team will do, is identify the constants, identify the things that you need to get right. And, and some of that is just you know how you're using your core, how you're using you know your weight shift, and, you know, and your lower body, and all these things. Does it mean that your hands are going to go to the same part of the zone? No, but it does mean that you're going to have the same abilities at strike identification and pitch identification and swing decisions and all these things and I think that's the crucial part of it is recognizing just for for a guy like Dylan Lawson okay you know here's what I do know mm-hmm. you know I'm not going to I'm not going to take your swing and teach you Aaron Judge's swing What I am going to do is break down the component parts of Aaron Judge's Swing and figure out for you what parts you could benefit from, you know. And and it doesn't mean that it only works for the guys at the bottom of the lineup trying to get better, as he said. You could have a 900 OPS, and that's great. And if you want to get that up to 950, okay, so let's look at the things that we have to do to get you better because we're going to identify this as you. It's not about, you know, what I know as a singular theory of hitting. I want to, you know, we are going to fix you in some way we're going to correct you and get you onto the track you want to be on
1: when you look at the the lineup of of guys obviously we talked about the the sistine chapel types but you know a guy like glaber torres you know who's had ups and downs and now is playing really well hitting the ball really well isaiah kiner falefa someone like that who came here and i i mean my quick analysis of him you know, from a a non-baseball operations person was, wow, this guy can hit. You know, he's not a power hitter, but he's a consistent hitter, and he's been. Um, But guys like that, clearly, you know, there's some, not say improvement that's needed, but some, you know, they're still on the, the learning curve, so to speak. You know, how does he embrace the challenge of working with guys like that? I don't know if that's something you guys delved into. Or what your thoughts are on on how a hitting coach who's been a player development guru, so to speak, deals with guys like that and, and gets the most out of them? Because certainly in the, in the case of Glaver Torres, it sure as heck seems as if the Yankees are getting the most out of him right now, certainly more than they have in years. I, I think this goes back to how do you simplify it?
0: Again, the point of hit strikes hard isn't to say our hitting philosophy is super simple. It's actually not. It's really complex. The point is to say, how can we just break this down into the way that makes every part of this feel like you are on a guided path? Hit strikes hard. Identify strikes so that you're only swinging at strikes. Make contact with them because you're swinging the ball correctly and on, and you have good plate discipline and you have a good swing plane. And hit it hard because you've done the work in the cage, in the weight room, and all this stuff, that you are making good, solid contact. So a, a lot of it, you know, you always say, just because a ball is a strike doesn't necessarily mean that letting it go was the wrong move because you don't just want to hit strikes. You want to hit strikes hard. Mm-hmm. If you get rid of any one word from hit strikes hard, so obviously hit's important because gotcha. miss strikes hard doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Hit the ball hard, sure, but... You only want to be swinging to strikes. Even if, yeah, occasionally you can get a ball that's down and away out of the strike zone and maybe you you know, put it through the hole and great, you got to hit that time, but that's a bad habit mm-hmm. and then hard. Yeah, if you hit strikes, it's great, but if you're hitting every ball to the second baseman who can turn a double play on it on a slow roller, then that's not doing much either. It's hit strikes hard. Every single part of that, you can write a PhD dissertation about you know, how to do each thing, but it's the reliance on all three of them in the interplay. So... You know, Isaiah Canaflexa, like Gleber Torres. What are they doing well when they're when they're going well? They're hitting strikes hard. I mean, why is Gleber Torres? Why is he matched his home run total from 2021 right now? Why does he look like the hitter he was in 2019? Because he is hitting strikes hard. What are some of the Yankees who aren't necessarily doing great right now? They're not hitting strikes hard. <laughs> I mean, again, I, I don't want to make it seem like don't read the story because it's really too basic. Whatever, it's not. It's incredibly complex. But it was designed to be simple enough to teach to a 17-year-old kid in the Dominican Republic or to use for Giancarlo Stanton, who's won an MVP award.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think like we were talking earlier about kind of the Anthony Rizzo effect, so to speak, where things that he does makes this overall team stronger. You know, I think this philosophy has also kind of that trickle-down effect. You know, it encourages guys not to swing at bad pitches. Right there, you know, and to not swing at pitches that they're not comfortable with, and right there, the team you're, you're accruing more walks, you're getting on base more, and of course, we all know, you know, walks kill opposing pitchers more than more than anything. So I think there is that trickle down effect that he's teaching, or, or kind of in, imploring them to to look at and them as in the hitters, and and I think that you're seeing the effects of that as well. And I think,
0: look, you, know, I, I'm not gonna make this some sort of age fight right now that you know you can't have older coaches in the game I mean I, I don't think that's true and I, and I don't think it matters but I do think there's something to be said for the fact that if you look at the top of the Yankees hitting system right now and you look at the top of the Yankees pitching system right now these are guys who were really ahead of the game in a sense in terms of how they were learning it and thinking different and f- for Dylan Lawson he spent those years working his way as, as, as a Yankees hitting coordinator in the minor league system so By the time he is now working with the Yankees players, they've worked with him for years. For Matt Blake, it wasn't with the Yankees. It was with the the Cleveland baseball franchise. But he he develops his reputation as a guy who can really just, you know, is a guru of pitching in a sense. and that doesn't take away from a Bam Bam Mullins um, and, and the job he's doing as an assistant hitting coach. That doesn't take away from a Mike Harkey and the job that, you know, this baseball lifer does yeah, great as the players. bullpen coach. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they do huge things to, to, to make the hole work. But with Dylan Lawson, it's like, I, I know, look, anytime a Yankees player strikes out or, you know, anytime... Anything goes wrong, it's uh, you know too much analytics, too much this or that, and obviously you know exactly it's easy, it's nonsense. But you look at the big picture, it's kind of like poker. You know, you can. You lose a poker hand, but if you win 55% of them, you've probably gone home with some money that day. It's the same thing. I mean, you look at, you know, and now we're a couple years into Matt Blake. And sure, at the beginning, every time something went wrong, was it like, oh, you know, just put down the notebook and put down the calculator and, you know, start whatever. You know, back in my day, guys, we had starting pitchers go eight innings. Why can't they now? Well, what you're seeing as the Yankees really turn over their franchise to some of these Really, just impressive minds, I think you're you're seeing just you know the, the way that these
1: philosophies can work and the way that you can see rewards come from them. well, I think that's really interesting and and you know my opinion is that you know the the success can come in you know from many shapes and sizes and different looks, you know, Don Mattingly was a great hitting coach here, and he was a great player here, uh maybe you know from a kid that grew up in the 80s my bias is the greatest player because I love him but you know he was a great he was a great hitting coach you know talk to Derek Jeter Alex Rodriguez guys who he mentored and made better you know they'll tell you that um and I'm sure there's a Million players with the Dodgers to tell you the same thing. Um, Hensley Mullins, great, you know, great instructor um, of hitting with the Giants uh, and and now here, of course. But what I what I thought was really interesting, a topic that you you went to at the end of this piece, and it really fascinated me. Um, the question and the answer both were fascinating to me. Was kind of this shift from you know hitting coaches like Barry Bonds. And Mark McGuire, and I think you mentioned Rod Carew as well. Rod Carew being a Hall of Famer, Bonds and McGuire, super, super, super superstars, you know, power hitters, record holders, all that other stuff. Um, It made me kind of remember, like, oh, yeah, that's right. They, you know, the league was, I'd say full, but had quite a bit of, you know, hitting, quite a few hitting coaches who were, you know, superstar power hitters. That's not the case so much anymore. And there is a shift to guys who may not have accrued the same level of success or experience on the field, but have maybe amassed even more time in the game on those practice fields down at, you know, in Tampa or in the Dominican Republic or whatever. Really interesting question. I'd love you to talk about the the answer he gave and just kind of the, the way you see things going in that direction or how you see things going in that direction
0: and, and i have to say he really did give me the answer that i was looking for because um, the first off the reality is and this can't be overstated today's players retire much richer than previous generations did i mean so yeah there's less of an inclination sometimes to maybe like fight your way up to the coaching ranks when you're sitting on a couple hundred million dollars <laughs> in a golf course in a pool it's like well mm-hmm. this is a I think I might have served my time already. But- I
1: know that I you know, I know that's something that's always been top of mind to me in writing stories since I did that story last year, if you remember with Mike Buddy, who was a you know, very marginal, you know, and I say that respectfully, pitcher at the big league level and then got hurt. And now he's the athletic director at West Point. He always said, you know, had I not had this injury, I may not have had yeah. the huge career I had after as an administrator. And then he kind of thought about it and he said, well, I can't sit back and you know sit on a golf cart all day. But at the same time, I think while that may not be true for him, I think that might be true for a lot of other people. But, but I think beyond that, though, they're, they're obviously you – know,
0: look, the game changed. There's no question about it. You can be the least analytic team in the major leagues, and you're still – 500 times more analytically based than teams were 20 years ago. I mean, it's just the reality is every single team is doing this stuff. It, it had to take time for the people who were developing these processes to teach them. And look, the evolution is going to continue. It's not going to stop now. But I don't know that a player in Aaron Judge's position 10 years ago could have as easily understood all the stuff that was going on. But now he does. So Aaron Judge, when he picks up that iPad after every at bat, looks at what he did right, what he did wrong. You know what the pitch looked like, all that stuff. I don't know if he could have been a hitting coach ten years ago. But to Dylan Lawson's point in his answer, he is trying to train these people to understand baseball in the way he does, mm-hmm. and that's not just to swing. He is not, as we discussed, a swinging coach. He is a hitting coach. There's more to hitting than swinging, but his job isn't just to teach them how to get through that game or that week or that season. It's to understand hitting on the level that he does. That doesn't mean every player wants it. That doesn't mean every player can handle it. But those who can, the next generation of hitting coaches, I do think, and I think that he agreed with this, is probably going to come from guys who are in the big leagues right now who are going through this stuff because they are learning this in real time
1: and it's becoming a part of their baseball understanding. Yeah, and and I think the the most important thing, (laughs) not that this is a – You know, a lecture to, you know, up and coming players out there or anything like that. Certainly not uh, something that should come from a career publications guy. Myself, but, uh, or two career publications guys, I, I should say. Um, you haven't seen me on my uh, synagogue softball team. I, I haven't. Well, you know, I keep trying to get tickets, but they're sold out. It's, I tough. Mean, it's been tough. You, you know, nor did you see me on my high school baseball team. And that's a good thing because <laughs> it's a lot less things for you to make fun of me about. That, that's the good thing about you not, not knowing me back then. But I think the most important thing is you know, there's going to be hitting coaches, not this hitting coach, I, I could tell you confidently, but there's going to be hitting coaches who no matter what philosophy they have and they they put out and there's just like there's going to be managers and there's going to be you know pitching coaches or whatever that are going to get fired from fi- from time to time no matter whether they're old school new school whatever it may be i think you know for the purposes of you know the the growth of the game and the evolution of the game whether you're a fan of it or not i think the best thing that a player can be is open minded because I think that's what, like, to your point earlier, John, if it was 10 years ago, I think the reason, part of the reason it would be hard for a player to understand this is simply as time goes on, generations become more open-minded to different philosophies. You know, there might be a hitting coach who has as much intel and and kind of new school acumen as Dylan Lawson does. But he not, might not be a good coach, and he might fail and might get fired. But it's that overall open-mindedness and i think that's what you know that's what will ultimately help the game you know evolve and you know things don't ever stay the same in any industry you know we were talking about us being a bunch of publications guys when you were at major league baseball or for me like when i started here 20 years ago just the way things are run within the the walls of an office were very different if you want things to stay the same uh you're probably not going to succeed much longer (laughs) that's for for sure. sure
0: For sure. And I think that's a good place for us to to leave this one. Obviously, we are closing the book now on our May issue. The June issue goes on sale Friday night uh, for the beginning of the series against the Tigers. It is a stunning, stunning magazine as we try to make all of ours. So we will have plenty to say about that in the weeks to come. But in the meantime, Al, thanks so much for taking the time today.
1: Thank you. This was great.
0: And to all of you, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. As we said, our June issue is about to go on sale, so make sure to get your hands on that. You can get it by coming to Yankee Stadium or, of course, by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. You should also, of course, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Yanks Magazine. Facebook, just search for Yankees Magazine. We can put all our stories up there. We talk about some other stuff. We get some feedback from you all. It's a great place to follow us. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come every two weeks. We love talking about the team, the game, and our stories with you, so we hope to catch you here. By all means, if there's something you want to talk to us about, email us, podcast at yankees.com. And lastly, you can get all of our long-form content at yankees.com. Thanks so much. See you next time, and go Yanks. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800 go